This is the Tech Talk for Accountants show with your host, Andrew Lassis, where every week we have a new guest to discuss the latest technology, apps, tips, and tricks to help you improve your accounting firm. This episode is brought to you by Tech for Accountants, an IT firm that specializes in cybersecurity for the small accounting firm. Many of our clients used to work at big firms that had all this crazy security and then went to work for themselves, and while they knew it was important to have great IT security, they just have too many other things to worry about and don't have enough time to actually learn this stuff. What we do is help bridge the gap so that even small accounting firms have great security at a fraction of the cost of doing it themselves, and it's all done for you. We offer listeners to the show a complimentary IT audit and consultation. Just go to tech4accountants.net slash podcast. And you can book a free IT audit. Again, that's tech, the number four, accountants.net slash podcast. We are good to go. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Tech Talk for Accountants show. And I'm your host, Andrew Lassis, with Tech for Accountants IT, specializing in the accounting industry. And with us today, we have Tom Wheelwright, who's a CPA, CEO of WealthAbility, a rich dad advisor, entrepreneur, international speaker, best-selling author of Tax-Free Wealth and the Win-Win Strategy, and the CPA for Robert Kiyosaki, author of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series. So quite the, quite the laundry list of accomplishments, Tom. Are, are you done? Uh, oh, heavens no. I, uh, my, my son asked me the other day, said, how long are you going to live, dad? I said, well, I think, I think with current technology, I think I could, uh, or technology that's coming, I think I could live to 150. He goes, that's a terrible idea. We have, we have big enough generation gaps as it is. Don't do that. I'm <laughs> just going, are you kidding me? My son just said that, but I'm going, you know, when you look at people who live long lives, they don't retire. They don't retire. Um, if if you want to if you want to live a long life, then you you really have to um, have a purpose for living that life. Yeah, I can't imagine stopping. My one of my mentors a long time ago, he had said he was he was like, you know, like what are what are your long term plans? And I was like, I don't know, like maybe someday I'll sell my company and then retire. And he was like, you don't understand. He's like, Andrew Lacis doesn't retire. He's like, you've you've <laughs> got too much in you. And also, I mean, yeah. I was. 30 when when we had that conversation so i mean still qu quite a few good years left but the you know the can't stop won't stop and i i just you know you enjoy what you do it's not even like it's a um you know a grind and things that are um you know terrible it's like you get to do that work as opposed to right. you're forced to do it. So Tom, give us a little background and um, you know, I want to hit on things like obviously some of the the uh, tax strategies that you talk about. We want to hit on uh, the IRS dirty dozen with scams, things to look out for. And, you know, with the extension deadline, you know, we're right around the corner. We're pretty good timing on this. So Tom, take it away. Um, yeah, so just a little my background. So I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. So when I was a 19 year old, I got uh, I got to learn how to uh, get rejected in French as a Mormon missionary. So I was in Paris and uh, learned how to get rejected over there. Um, it's actually much more pleasant to be rejected in French than English because it's such a beautiful language. But um, I spent uh, so I have an undergraduate degree in accounting from University of Utah and a graduate degree from the University of Texas and. Professional accounting tax. I spent seven years with Ernst and Young 
uh, three years in the National Tax Department. I was actually in their National Tax Department when Ronald Reagan was president. So that tells you uh, just how long I've been in this profession. Um, I spent uh, 14 years as an adjunct professor in the Master's of Tax Program at Arizona State University, specializing in uh, multi-state uh, taxation. And then I, um, I started my first firm in 1995. Uh, sold, uh, uh, bought and sold firms, built firms, um, sold a big firm in 2017. We started a network of CPA firms, and now we've just recently launched a franchise. So this is a soft launch of our franchise, um, first tax advisory franchise, to my knowledge, and uh, we're very excited about that. Um, as you mentioned, though, I spent I've spent the last twenty some odd years traveling with Robert Kiyosaki around the world. Um, in fact, we're headed to uh, Europe um, in November um, to speak in London and Stuttgart, Germany. And um, it's it's just really interesting because when I when I get to travel with Robert, it's a little good cop bad cop. I, I'm the good cop, um, and uh, and uh, but. What's interesting is people will come up to me and they'll say, you know what, this is really interesting information, only you can't do that here. And I get that even, I don't, it doesn't matter if I'm in Dallas, Texas or in, um, you know, uh, London, England, or, you know, if I'm in, uh, uh, frankly, um, uh, Tokyo, Japan, somebody's going to, somebody's going to say that to me. And so I, I get that, especially from accountants. So I was, uh, so quick story, I was teaching a class in New Mexico and Albuquerque a few years ago. And this was a group of entrepreneurs and one of them had his CPA with him. And, uh, my, um, sales manager was with me and he overheard the CPA turn to us turn to his uh, client and say, wow, this guy's really aggressive. And I'm going, whoa, I think I'm really conservative. So uh, it's, you know, it's just, you're it's just different point of view. I, I think that conservative means that you don't do anything outside of what you know. I think aggressive is doing anything outside of what you know. So to me, uh, you know, my goal is to just know more and understand the law better. And that way you can, you know, you, you don't have to be aggressive to, to get good tax results for your clients. Um, when I uh, wrote Tax-Free Wealth, kind of the whole idea behind it is just recognizing the tax law is really a series of incentives. And when you take that approach to it and you look at it as, look, the tax law is not bad. It's not your enemy. Uh, the, the IRS can be your enemy, but the tax law is not your en enemy. The tax law, actually, if you understand it, can be your friend because uh, really what all the government said is, look, there are certain things that if you do, if you put your money in these places, we will reward you for putting your money there. I mean, the most obvious one right now is uh, uh, renewable energy, right? I mean, you put solar on your, on your business building that you own, you're going to get, uh, the government's going to pay for about two thirds of the cost of that solar between credits and deductions. So, um, you know, you just, it, to me, it's a matter of how do you look at things? Uh, how well do you understand it? And then really your mindset um, behind it. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting perspective of it's not your enemy, but, and, and I think this also, this plays into kind of the view of like the, the assets versus liabilities and the things that you, you can purchase that are going to be producing revenue versus the things that are not. And 
you know, one of the, um, I know one of his sort of controversial uh, ideas is that a house as a, um, an asset that's going to be producing a whole lot of, a whole lot of money. After, I read that after I had purchased like five real estate properties and, and well, I mean, they appreciate it in value, but it was a, uh, yeah, yeah. His, uh, the, well, if you think about it, so to put it really simply, um, uh, and I, I kind of, kind of categorize the, you know, you've got four main categories on your financial statements, right? You've got income, expense, asset, and liability. So the purpose of income is to create cash flow. And of course, we all know of income that doesn't create cash flow. These are accounts receivable that we never collect. No benefit from income that doesn't produce cash flow. What I think we forget is, and that we don't explain to our clients well enough, is that the purpose of an expense is to create income. And if we're spending money that's not creating income, why are we spending the money? Well, the only difference between an expense and an asset is time. An asset is just something that produces income over and over and over again over a period of years, whereas an expense tends to produce it in one time period. So when you when you really distill it down, how is a house an asset if it's not producing income? Because it, it's, you know, typically houses are really liabilities because they're taking money out of your pocket instead of money, putting money into your pocket. Now, what's the purpose of a liability? This is my favorite purpose of a liability is to buy an asset. So you have a lot of people, um, particularly I think uh, some of your listeners, because um, they're they're my colleagues too, and uh, and they go, well, I don't like li- I don't like that. I don't like liabilities. I'm going well. Th- that means that you don't trust the asset, because if you trust the asset, if you believe the asset's going to produce income, you want to borrow as much as possible. And so that's where you know that's where Robert Kiyosaki is very different from some other commentators in the financial space. That he goes, well, look, debt's good. Well, only debt that that produces assets that produce cash flow is good. Okay. Otherwise it's called bad debt, right? So, so a mortgage on a house is really bad debt if it's not producing cash flow. Now you can produce cash flow from a house. I mean, you can have a rental property that produces tons of cash flow. So it, uh, a house can be an asset could also be a liability. Yeah. My, I'm not built for, for rentals. I, I have pretty much yeah. every nightmare scenario. <laughs> under my belt in like eight years of uh rental properties and recently uh last year i i sold them all got cash and then i invested in this stock called nvidia and um that that paid a lot more (laughs) than uh than any of nice job yeah i mean i semi speculation but at the same time yeah, a calculated risk, which is obviously an important thing to take into consideration. But you know, I was just—I I figured my E-Trade account never calls me on Fourth of July. That was the last straw. Fourth of July <laughs> last year, I got a call from a renter, and you know, it's a bad call when it starts off. I know I'm behind two months on rent. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I noticed. I noticed as well. <laughs> but our AC went out. <laughs> and you need to buy a new one. And so it's like, oh, the the asset, like, oh, this isn't <laughs> this isn't producing money by this new um this new AC expense plus the two months 
behind on and then i was just like you know what e-trade never calls me on fourth of july i'm done sold <laughs> them all and then just september last year uh or august it actually and it's funny because i bought nvidia the you, if you look back last year uh like august 20 something last year nvidia tanked put a whole bunch into it and it tanked and i was like ah man whatever i'll hold it and then the whole chat gpt thing exploded and so awesome yeah, so pretty, pretty happy with that decision. But yeah, yes, a a house it can be an asset when leveraged correctly. But uh, home ownership, I mean, you know, you can make the argument for it, right? Like, you know, we we purchased the house that we live in um, five years ago, and Zillow. Okay, it's not inaccurate, no, but without getting an actual appraisal, Zillow says it's worth about double what we paid for it five years doubling but you also have you know when you sell you have to pay all of the the real estate broker fees and you have to pay the title company and it's not liquid and you don't get everything back and then you're taxed on it for for the long term so i mean anyway that's i'll get off on that we'll say flip side though if you take yeah, we could have purchased the whole house cash decided to have a mortgage. The rate was like 3.25%. And the hundreds of thousands of dollars that were saved put into an ETF that's grown a lot more than that 3%. So that good debt, bad debt, I mean, that's you know the concept of, yes, there is debt. However, look at what was produced as a result of having that and paying down a 3% loan when you can generate more than 3% there you go. of other places. I mean, it's, you, it's you, a an idea, but... You were rewarded by the Fed's um, easy money policy, so... <laughs> well, sure. I mean, that's, that's why your house went up in value was because of, uh, you know, it's all a function, it's all an inverse relationship with interest rates. So the lower the interest rate, the higher the value, because that's that's where price inflation comes from. So um, that's a that's a big reward. Those people who um, actually right now are hurting. Um, a lot of uh, rental property owners, for example, are getting killed right now because of the inverse relationship. Um, and so because as interest rates have gone up, their values have gone down. So that is, uh, you know, there are certain things out of your control, you know, uh, chat GPT out of your control, um, Fed policy out of your control. Um, government policy out of your control, but what what we always what we like to talk about is okay. So what is within your control? So for example, when it comes to taxes, um, how you behave is within your control. So we were talking earlier before we started recording about uh, Robert's cash flow quadrant. So his second book was called Cash Flow Quadrant. And he basically talks about four different ways to make money. And the first question we always ought to be asking our clients is, how do you make your money? Because if you're an employee you know, outside of a 401k or whatever, there's not a whole lot you can do tax-wise. There's just not. Um, you're you're just subject to tax and you're basically a tax mule. Um, if you're self-employed, small business owner, um, if you're not careful, you can be subject to a higher tax because you're paying the employer's side of the taxes as well as the employee side of the taxes. So we see, sometimes I'll see um, a self-employed person paying anywhere from 50 to 60% tax, which I think is a is a crime um, because they don't have to. Because then if you look at a big business, 
like uh, you know, 500 employees or more, the 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 B quadrant, the big business, they're paying 21%. So why are you paying 60% when the big guys are paying 21%? That makes no sense. And actually, most of them are paying less than 21%. And uh, the reality is, is that the law applies equally to everybody in the same fact pattern. So this is why I always I, I like to say, if you want to change your tax, you have to change your facts. And uh, that's not that hard. You know, um, if you're a sole proprietor, become an S corporation. If you're an S corporation and you want lower taxes and you're not going to take the money out, become a C corporation. I mean, it's just not that hard. And then you have the the professional investor quadrant where um, uh, where you're investing in hard assets. We're not talking about derivatives like NVIDIA, um, your stock, that's a derivative. Um, we're talking about the actual business itself. So when you invest in hard assets, the government basically says, we're not going to tax you on the income. So agriculture, energy, um, uh, real estate, business, typically it's pretty easy to avoid paying tax on that kind of income. Um, it's uh, the, the next question though is always, so what are you going to do with your money? And that's actually where the, that's where the big money is. is that, that's where the government is really encouraging you to do something different from your money, frankly, um, than putting your into the stock market. The only benefit of putting the stock market is if you're in an IRA or 401k or pension plan, um, and then the capital gains down the road, right? You get capital gains rates, but you don't really get a deduction typically for investing the stock market outside of a outside of a qualified plan. Whereas you invest in your business, you're going to get a deduction all day long. Um, you invest in real estate, you get deductions. You invest in agriculture, you get deductions. So it's it's just a, and that's what the win-win wealth strategy is about. I actually looked at seven investments, um, investment classes that the government will actually pay you to make. So they'll actually contribute so that you actually are, you're basically, we're basically all partners with the government, Andrew, um, whether we like it or not. The, the very first time you looked at your paycheck and said, what's this withholding? What's FICA? Who's that? Um, you know, why are they taking money in my paycheck? I was supposed to get, you know, $15 an hour or $10 an hour. And I'm, I'm getting $4 an hour. What's going on here? And uh, that's, that's the minute you realize, hey, I have a partner and it's not a, and I'm not voluntarily partnering with them. This is like, I am forced to partner with them. So then the question is, okay, so are you a good partner or a bad partner? That's the question. Are you a good partner with the government doing what they want you to do? And then you pay less tax or are you basically a silent partner with the government and you just pay high taxes? I mean, to me, it's it's a choice. And I think the most important thing that a uh, tax advisor, uh, an accountant can do is provide their clients with a choice. Um, if the client wants to, for example, deduct their travel, great. Spend four and a half hours a day doing business. If you want to spend your whole time on vacation, then great. That's a choice, but you're going to, you're not going to get to deduct it. So, you know, to me, it's all about to, to me, every client, what they mostly want is they want a choice. And so uh, reversing just a bit. So what are some of the assets, the hard assets where the, the government will not just you know, like you said, like in a 401k or IRA where it's, you know, sort of those like low level everyone's aware of, but what are some of the hard assets? So you'd mentioned um, renewable energy and agriculture. What are some of the other things that where people any, could invest any, money? Any, any energy, oil and uh, fossil fuels get just as big a tax deduction. 
Um, they don't get the credit, but they get just big, uh, as big a deduction. In fact, they, the deduction is actually bigger for fossil fuels. Um, so I know that seems like counterintuitive based on this current administration. But remember, the administration doesn't get to dictate, right? They do have Congress. And Congress has decided, no, we actually need fossil fuels. Um, and we're going to need them in the foreseeable future. So we need to produce, we need to be as energy independent as possible. So we will, while we're doing the renewables, we'll also give you tax benefits for oil and gas. But for example, you don't get a deduction for putting money into Exxon, but you do get a deduction for actually drilling an oil well. So it's, it's just productive versus, again, it's that first level production versus a derivative. Uh, Exxon stock, that's just a derivative of the business, right? You're not the actual business. So um, that business is the is the big one. Um, around the world, we looked at 15 countries in the win-win wealth strategy and did charts and tables on them. And around the world, business is by far the best tax, has the most tax incentives of any asset class. And that means your own business. That doesn't mean, uh, again, that's not a derivative investing in somebody else's business, but your own business. And that's why, you know, where, where um, you know, you'll pay tax, uh, you sell your NVIDIA stock, you'll pay tax on that. But NVIDIA may not be paying tax because they're getting deductions for all the money that they're putting into R&D. So that's, that's the difference right there. Um, uh, I, uh, technology is actually a big one. So in, in your world, technology is huge. Uh, unfortunately, we have this ridiculous um, provision right now uh, that does not allow you to deduct your current research and development costs. You have to um, capitalize them and amortize them over five years. Um, hopefully, that will change by the end of the year. But we have a couple of things to wade through, like a budget, like a like not having the government shut down in in a couple of weeks, like um, uh, a a potential impeachment of the president. Um, so who knows whether that will actually happen before the end of the year? But um, that's actually a that's a, a real bad policy uh, of the U.S. Uh, it was a bad provision in the first place. It was uh, during the 2017 uh, Tax Act, and it was just a revenue raiser. And it was a revenue raiser with the goal that, well, in five years, we're going to undo it. That's the way it was written. It's just like the excess business loss provision. Well, we're going to undo that. So in five years, we'll undo it. So it's fine if it comes if it hits in five years. And sure enough, they didn't undo it because they, of course, the uh, the Republicans lost the presidency, and then they lost the and then the, and they lost the Senate, and so anyway, so that that's where we are on that. But those are big ones. Um, you know, one that people don't really think about is life insurance. Life insurance actually has huge tax benefits in it, and uh, is uh, is one of those safe assets that um, I, I think people ignore all too often. And you know, we had talked a bit on the uncertainty and things crashing, which I think is a good segue into a topic that you're very, very proficient and familiar in with the IRS dirty dozen. So hitting on the scams and things to be on the lookout for as as a tax preparer. And so you want a high level for those that maybe aren't aware of it, and then we'll dig in a little yeah, deeper. Yeah. So, so what the IRS does is they look at... Um, they. They call it their dirty dozen. It's twelve. Um, it's it's twelve tax planning ideas that they don't like. Okay, so are there abuses in those? Absolutely, 
but does that mean they're not real? And the answer is no. And so it's it's a bizarre, to me, it's a little bizarre. For example, they put um, on their dirty dozen charitable remainder trusts. Well, charitable remainder trusts has, have been around as long as I've been around. And that's a very long time, Andrew. And um, there's nothing, they're, they're, they're in the law. They're, they're completely, there's nothing wrong with them. Conservation easements are on their dirty dozen. Captive insurance companies. These are all, these are all code, internal revenue code provisions. Are there abuses? Absolutely. And so what we're looking for is the abuse. Now, here's the challenge. Um, two things on this. First of all, uh, if the IRS um, doesn't like something, they just disallow it. They do not follow the law. They just disallow. They they are the 800-pound gorilla. And so, for example, if uh, you have a client that has a captive insurance policy, which is a terrific way to self-insure and to spread your risk among other um business businesses um, in similar situations. So uh, it's, a, it's actually a really nice program. It was set up for farmers primarily in the Midwest, um, but it applies, of course, you can't just apply it um, to, to one group of people. You have to apply it to everybody. And we, when we have, and when we have a client that talks about captive, I said, okay, so tell me why you need the insurance because it's an insurance policy. Um, but it has huge tax benefits because uh, basically you own the insurance company and insurance companies have huge tax benefits. So, um, but it's one of those areas where if the IRS uh, audits you, they don't, you can give them all, all the law. You can do everything exactly right. They will right now disallow it. it it's not, even, it, there's, there's not a negotiation they will disallow it, even though it's in the code, section 831B of the Internal Revenue Code. And so that's uh, that's where we are. It's really interesting. What compounds this is that they are now using AI. So back to your world. Um, they're using AI to find people who have these things. So uh, the first thing they do, of course, is they require you to file an 8886 Um to disclose on your tax return that you have it. But even that, they, they don't have the technology to actually figure out where these 8086s come from. I mean, they're, they're, they're really behind in their technology. But what they can do and what they're starting to do is use AI to find people who are using um, uh, tax planning ideas that they think are sketchy, whether, uh, I'll give you another one, multi-pension plan. So multi-pension plans were, until they changed the treaty, were absolutely available. Basically, you could eliminate your capital gains on the sale of your business by putting it, your business into a multi-pension plan. That was absolutely the law. And the IRS has actually had to back off on it because it was the law. It's not anymore, but it was the law. And, um, and, and so what you have to just be careful of is know that First of all, uh, a lot of people have never handled an audit before. You are going to see audits of your clients. No matter what level they're at, you're going to see audits in the next two to three years. Absolutely 100%. Every, every, every accountant, every, everybody who prepares tax returns is going to see, it, or is going to see audits of their clients, um, at least some in the next few years. Um, second of all, if... Um, you, you've just got to be, you've got to be ready uh, to handle those audits because 
the IRS is coming down with a very big sledgehammer. And if they don't like you and they don't like what you're doing, my concern is that they will tar they're targeting people. And my concern is they will start targeting uh, tax advisors and CPAs. I, I actually have a pretty big concern about that because they can. You know, with AI, you can go out and you can just, you've got that long, the long arm of AI. So uh, thank you, NVIDIA, um, for uh, powering the IRS in that uh, endeavor. Um, but that's what's going on. So uh, I just think people ought to be aware of it, that they need to be aware that they're going to be handling these IRS audits and they need to be prepared. And even before the big, you know, push in AI and, you know, the IRS talking about we're going to be utilizing AI for audits and extension, things like that. I mean, they had hired 80,000 more agents well, or that, will be over, over the course of, of several years. So it was already in the mix of most likely you wouldn't take on all these agents with without giving them anything to do. So looking deeper, coupled with having this it's funny because ai is not even new but it's now publicly people understand it thanks to chat gpt making it accessible and it's kind of like the internet where it's existed for a while but just not in the form that anybody anywhere could use you had to kind of know what you were doing but you know now that it's mainstream and people are like oh you know what we could use it for we can use it in audit. And so being able to streamline that process and sort of look at, okay, this doesn't make sense. Why would this person be doing that unless it were strictly for tax benefits, which I'd assume is the frowned upon reason right. for making the investments. It needs to be with an actual intent and not solely for right. the the tax benefit but having having an actual interest in that coupled with taking the deduction and being rewarded for having the the um the interest in that topic plus being able to invest in it sort of that one two as long as you know it's it's like everything you know this exists but don't just abuse it because there's an ability to abuse it. You know, they just recently stopped accepting new ERC claims, right? Which is on the list as well, correct? It, uh, you know, I think it is. Um, the, the the interesting thing with ERC, which by the way is terrible tax policy, um, because it's not nobody needs the ERC right now, right? I mean, we got through the pandemic uh, it's a while back, three, right? So three, it's just like three and a half years, and it takes them a year to get the check to you too. Well, yeah, and I'm just going so or a payroll. Now, cool. is there is is there a, an an enormous amount of fraud in the ERTC? No question. I mean, I'm I'm looking at some of these commercials. You know, you got Mr. Wonderful on the commercial, and I'm going really. Um, you are you are. I, my clients get these calls all the time. I said, okay, so if you live in on, on uh, one of the coasts, you probably are entitled to the ERTC. If you live in Texas, you're probably not. Okay. They weren't shut down <laughs> in Texas. You live in Florida, probably not. Right. So, you know, that this, uh, this just ridiculous amount of money that they're giving away. 
Um, and and then they and then they slow them down. They say, "Well, we're gonna we're not going to accept them anymore." Um, and I'm going, "Well, wait a minute." So how does that help further the policy? If the policy is these people are trying to recover and need that money, how does slowing down help that policy? And what it really means is the IRS is just behind. They don't have the tools for it. I, I don't blame the IRS for this one. This is this is Congress's fault for passing this in the first place um, because it, it's just a huge ask of the IRS to be able to handle it. And I think, you know, just just coming from it on the the um, you know the business owner side, right, and seeing the impact that COVID had on our business and actually qualifying and things based on the revenue and comparisons and and things like that. But you know, PPP applied and after you know a bunch of red tape. Got it within a week or two. I don't recall the yeah. the exact PPP was time. Great, yeah. PPP was great. PPP, what a great, what a great policy, right there. And then idle as well, where it was still within a reason about yeah. reasonable amount of time. And then PPP round two, it was just like okay, yeah. well, uh, sure, <laughs> no problem. And and ERC, you know, my my accountant, this you know, 2020 before it was cool, he had brought to my attention, you know, if you look at the revenue comparisons, that sure. it like, you know, you check every single box, even though we weren't shut down because of right. regulations in box. Florida. Yeah. The revenue, like every we checked every single box as an actual candidate mm -hmm. for it. And I tell you, I three months ago got one of the checks so that would be <laughs> june 2023 to help with third quarter 2020 yep it's three years later and and a yep. payroll you know so what was i supposed to do so, so let's think about this what's the difference between these two programs primary difference is ppp loans were administered by the sba they were not administered by the irs uh, the irs is just they've been underfunded um, they just have had, I think, poor leadership, poor policy for many, many, many years. Um, they're, they're used as a political tool too often. And, uh, and instead really should just be focused on ministering the tax law. You know, that, uh, that, the, the fact that the, um, quote inflation reduction act, which is, uh, ridiculous, you know, you know, if whatever the government calls it, it's the opposite, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I call it the Inflation Enhancement Act, but but when they actually put giving the IRS money, actually were showed that as a revenue raiser. That's like that's like the police officers, highway patrol, um, including the 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 tickets, the speeding tickets, as a revenue raiser for the for the city. Right, the bad idea to make penalties. A revenue raiser for the, you know, that, that kind of get this whole idea. The IRS, that's never been their mantra. Their mantra has always been we administer the tax law fairly and evenly. And, uh, to, to be actually told that they're supposed to raise revenue, um, can only lead to abuse. I'm actually quite concerned about that. And 
So how are some of the ways that you do see it playing out? I mean, you, you well, kind of touched let, on let, it. Let, look. Let's look at, his, at, at an example. Let's look at a couple of examples. First of all, we just had the IRS um, get uh, um, their, their hand slapped pretty hard because the supervisor had backdated um, their signature on a document. I'm going, wait a minute. You backdated it? And now there's three more cases where they're asserting that they backdated their signature on a penalty notice. I'm going, you can't do that kind of stuff, right? How about how about all of the uh, the leaks to ProPublica, 3,000 tax returns? You know, Ken um, Griffin is suing the IRS over the leak of his tax return to ProPublica. Um, <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Hunter Biden is suing the IRS for disclosing information about his taxes to Congress. And I'm going, well, that's pretty, I think that's pretty hilarious. But um, but the the fact is that there are some issues that really, you know, if, if we look at a business, if you've got challenges in your business, um, who are the people you need to, to help first? You need to help your customers. You need to make sure your customers are taken care of. So the first thing the IRS needs to do is they need to get 100% of the phone calls answered, not 70%, not 60%, not 25%, 100%. That's the first thing you have to do. As a business owner, you want to answer 100% of your phone calls. Next is you want to make sure that all of your compliance is taken care of, that you are tracking it. You're not, you're not destroying hundreds of thousands of documents. Are you kidding me? So the, the, the challenge is that the reason this is all a problem is that you have no confidence. Nobody has confidence in the IRS right now. So, and it's, it, it's a little like when, if you read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, um, uh, years ago, when he talked about New York and what did New York do? Um, of course, they've let it slide since then, but what did New York do to clean up? Well, they handled the graffiti on the subway and they and they and they stopped the scofflaws going through the metro. Okay, those are a couple of things they did. You fixed the broken window, right? Because you have to have people need to have confidence that you're going to take care of the little things. And if you don't take care of the little things, they certainly don't have any confidence you're, you're going to take care of the big things. So that's where I think that I, I'm hoping that this money to the IRS and fortunately been cut down a little bit, looks like it's going to be 60 billion, not 80 billion. Um, but I hope that they put their money into technology and they put their money into customer service. Uh, they have improved their customer service, but they are a long ways from being um, a customer service driven enterprise. And uh, I would like to see them, you know, do that first. And, and then I think you'll get more, I think you get more compliance by definition. And I think the AI, I think AI and um, is good. I actually think that that's the right way to put, that's the right place to put their money because New York's been doing this for years. The New York Department of Revenue has been using um, technology for years to uh, help catch people who are underreporting their income. And, uh, and and the IRS can take a lesson from that. So I, I think that's good. What I, I hope is, is that it doesn't get abused, um, which is always the concern. You know, when you, when you start saying everybody who has, who um, say every conservation easement is bad. I, to me, that's an abuse by the IRS. You know, I, to, to actually challenge all of the valuations, I'm all good with that. But to say they're all bad or captive insurance is bad or um, uh, charitable remainder trusts are bad, 
that, that's to me that's bad policy and and what we ought to be doing is really um focusing on okay let's take care of the abusers but let's first get our house in order and uh and get things working well and you know on the the topic of ai which is obviously you know a hot spot in in our world world right now there are so many ways that you that ai could be leveraged in a very very inexpensive way and you know we're doing this company with with 12 full-time employees helping our customer service and we're developing this on our own i mean we're we're super geeking out on it but i mean you know the the government has the ability to do this as well but we've we're taking the last three years of tickets and we've exported them into a format that the machines understand and we basically use it as a training manual knowledge base and we say here is how to solve every problem that we have documented solving over the last three years and it retains that and so if we get a new employee and yes the knowledge base has existed they can type it in and try to find the answer on their own and maybe if there's two different things like discern okay this is how this works and you know we teach the model if you look at the email address of who the customer is that sent this here's all the information relevant to them so you can look at the big set of data and then if there's anything specific for this client then drill into that and you know what they'd be able to do is take the information of whether it's on a particular taxpayer situation that that someone's running into and they're calling on their client's behalf or any scenario of customer service where they just need the correct answer right and it's not just go to this website and then read it and figure out how it applies to you but type in your exact scenario mm-hmm. and have it have a conversation as if it were someone that you can't see on the other end and you right. know really really when we're we're calling the IRS it's usually not for just like a good conversation and you know the reason I keep coming back to these guys is I love their customer support you know <laughs> you've got you have a question and need an answer and there are ways to streamline that for with sure. technology and we're going to see that more and more as these things start getting adapted and people start understanding you know there are ways that you can give a great client experience and it's you know it's essentially it's cutting costs significantly especially in a service-based industry right. where where you know your payroll is your largest expense if you can increase the capacity which is something we've worked extremely hard on i have some really really smart people on my team that help with this but when we started the capacity per technician was about 200 200 companies 200 firms would be every time so we have 200 firms we need one tech we have 400 firms we need two and now um, 1700 firms under management with four people so that's and it's a management but you know we've increased our capacity and the efficiency and we have awesome. customer cutter customer satisfaction scores now than we did previously because you know when people call they want a solution and if you can expedite that that's right. great and 
you know, training for a new employee that doesn't know everything, hasn't seen everything, but can reference using artificial intelligence of here's my situation. They say, here's the answer. You, you could have done it the old fashioned way, but here's the answer. Customer's happy. And, you know, so it's ways to grow the business. There's a million things. And Tom, I want to be respectful of your time. I feel like this is one of those we could go for another hour or two and just we'd or, or a day or two yeah yeah we'd we'd lose the attention of everybody and it, I, I guess it doesn't matter but, right? we'd I mean, be, but, we, but we'd have fun yeah yeah i mean that's that's really the end of the day you know i'm i i just really really appreciate your insight and it was great talking with you and where can people go online to find out more about you? And we'll put this in the show uh, notes. Really easily. Uh, wealthability.com. And just schedule a call. And if you have any questions about our, our franchise, our training, um, what we do, um, how we bring in better clients so that you've got a better practice, uh, we're happy to talk to you. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you so much for being on the show. And guys, if you liked it, be sure to like it. If you loved it, be sure to share and subscribe. And Tom, you have a great day. Thanks for being on the show. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Tech Talk for Accountants show. I hope you enjoyed today's guest. And remember, you can go to techforaccountants.net slash podcast to book a complimentary IT audit conducted by a technician certified by the AICPA in cybersecurity. Again, that's tech, the number four, accountants.net slash podcast.